You're listening to The Gould Standard. We're very pleased to announce that this podcast is also available as a video podcast. Find it on the Gould Standard YouTube channel. There's also a link to the video podcast in the show notes of this episode. And now, without further ado, the much-anticipated second part to our interview with A.R. Rayman, the complete musician. Let's talk about Slumdog Millionaire because I think that for some, you know, Western musical listeners, that really was their introduction to you. And you know, Jai Ho, the the you know, the big sort of slightly Bollywoodish, you know, final number was you know a big hit, and you got you know uh, Academy Awards for this the score and so on. You know, but you know, did it feel somehow different from the, the work that you had done on Indian films because it was set in India, it was filmed in India, it was, you know, an Indian subject matter, and you're working with an Irish director. What what was that all like? It's strange, actually. I was fully swamped with many movies, and I kept getting this mail from Danny. Hey, I'm Danny Boyle. So I Googled him and like, oh my God, Danny Boyle's done transporting, he's done this stuff, and all, all that stuff is text is gold. In music-wise, you know, the taste of what. So suddenly felt like I spoke to one of my directors, Ashutosh Gawarikar, who did Lagan. Hey, I want to work with this director. And uh, I cannot leave your movie. <laughs> and he was like, no way you can leave my movie. He's like, I said, okay, okay. Since you're so passionate about it, but next movie you should do. And then I left that movie. And uh, strangely, we were trying to meet for like a couple of months. And uh, one day he said, he, I got a message say, hey, AR, I'm in Bombay. I said, I'm also in Bombay. And I said, I'm in this hotel. I'm in the same hotel. <laughs> and let's meet down for breakfast. And then I come down. I met Danny. And he had a, such great, a beautiful gesture. He said, take this DVD and see what you can do. And he gave me a DVD. And me being me, like, I didn't have time to watch that. A week later, I just put that on. I was like, oh my God, what is this movie? And I called him. I said, this is the same kind of feeling I, I saw all those you know, legendary big movies, and I get the same kind of feeling. He said, okay. And he said, uh, it had many other, you know, like, picks and, like, temp music, and said, can I do the whole score? I said, yeah, of course, if you have the, because we're mixing in two months, if you can finish the score, yeah. So I started sending him, like, 80, 90 ideas, they picked out of it. And I just actually spent two weeks, just two weeks in finishing everything. Never felt like, it's going to get an Oscar or anything because here we do like 130 cues and then you're just doing 18 but I never knew that those 18 you would keep at the most you know exposed beautifully in the movie where it creates a, such an impact so what he did was for the first time I felt oh my god that's what music should be all all the good things we do gets pulled down on the mix and it's been made into a wallpaper so that's when I learned what music can do and if it's done right. put it the right perspective and there are times when it can be used sparingly and yeah. have more impact than if it's continuous from start to finish and uh, yeah, but i think danny has this pop kind of a thing that he just drives the music and then yep. on the scenes he doesn't use anything you know so that's there's one of a style which i really love oh right exactly and it, and it is a great film i just watched it again the other night and you know boy it, it holds up beautifully um 
you have had some really fascinating collaborations. You, you know, collaborated with the composer Craig Armstrong on uh, Shikhar Kapoor's Elizabeth, the Golden Age. Now, that must have been very strange. That's a very different kind of environment that you were trying to capture. And you were working collaboratively with another composer. Was that, was that a comfortable r- relationship? Very similar to Lord of the Rings because Vatana, the Finnish band, was also working with me. So it's yeah. not new. Uh, I love Craig's music and I admired his stuff. Very nice man. And he let, gave me a room in his, uh, you know, in his place in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing was, I think that time the the director was in London and we would send stuff and they would listen to it. And we used to get all the all the cues bounced. I said, what's going on? I think we're writing well. Everything is bounced. They're not taking a decision. Yeah. So I said, I'm right. going to go, Craig, I'm going to go sit next to Shaker's room. So when they played him in good speakers, everything was like, oh, that's good, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like when they, they, they have to listen to the right perspective. And my music is always like, I do sketches and it comes together in the very final, you know, when, when I mm-hmm. deliver it. And the directors whom I work with understand, when new people come in, oh my God, what is he giving? It's too sketchy. Right. And so that's one thing, even Hollywood, I had um, issues, not issues, I I imagine okay, this is what I should do. I should produce it in a better way and show it to them. Mm-hmm. Unlike because I remember like even John Williams when he scores, he just plays the stuff on piano, and Spielberg would understand that. And yes, you'd wait for the scoring. Those days are gone now. Now everybody wants an amazing temp right. scored on keyboards and yeah, yep, absolutely. It's all it's all samples and so that you can yeah. get a sense of what the orchestration is going to be like and. If you haven't yet decided what the orchestration is going to be like, well, just tough. You have to. Um, you know, I'd like to sort of move a little differently and, and talk a little bit about the spiritual dimension of your work and, and you know, your concerts of Sufi music and so on. And, you know, maybe as a way into that, um, one of the uh, winners of, of our Glenn Gould Prize is Philip Glass. And he said to me um, when we were, you know, together for the prize that he didn't so much feel as though he was creating the music, but that the music already existed out there and that his training and his hard work made him a receptive vessel for the music to enter and flow through. Is that a point of view that you can empathize with, that you can feel some some relationship with, with that kind of approach? It's true. I think um, we all have to be the vessel and the vessel has to be clean. The vessel has to be empty. For to receive the blessings, I keep saying that, which mm-hmm. has to be worthy enough and worthy enough to the mind. The mind is the vessel. Yes. And when the vessel is unclean, definitely the work suffers. You know, because music making is has got so much um, with the other realm, and what we are living is the physical realm, and the metaphysical one, which um, can you tap into it, and what are the rules? To be ready for it, to tap into it. Yes. And this is not music. Doesn't teach you this. Music doesn't teach you this. That that comes with experience. That comes with instinct. That comes with uh, a kind of practice where you just go into the zone, and that zone is where everything is clear. You have a blank paper. Yes. If the paper already has filled stuff, then it's going to be something which is already being printed. That's going right. to come in already. If you want a yep. fresh thing to be written, there to be a blank paper. And why I'm saying this is 
we all have instincts and uh, sometimes when you do music you need to use both the tricks sometimes you have certain generic music which oh i know how to do this you know yeah. ostinatos with the boomer and then cellos we need that and sometimes you need wait 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 i need a melody which is unheard of and this progression should go deep into the mind and change people and for that you need courage Mm-hmm. the courage of not using too many instruments it could be just one instrument and for that again that's that's when i think what philip glass told like i can un- totally understand uh the practice of taming your mind the practice of studying it the practice of being receptive and mm-hmm. cleansing your vessel yeah it's uh that's that's very beautifully said and and it reminds me actually since we are the Glenn Gould Foundation something that that Gould said which is that the the purpose of art is not that momentary burst of excitement but the careful and deliberate lifelong construction of a state of wonder and serenity and it seems to me that from the opposite point of view that you have to kind of find your way into a mindset of serenity and wonder to discover the music that that you know you're capable of 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 you know having enter you and flow through you absolutely yeah so when did you first have the idea of touring with uh, programs of sufi music because obviously you know there are you know concert tours that you've had world tours that are mostly your film music the things that are very popular and so on and you know it seems to me that you know in some ways from a you know what you know, if someone were giving you you know, a career advice you know they'd say my boy you know go out there and do the shows with the fireworks and the big displays and the the hit songs you know why are you go you know, why do you want to go and do sacred music you know that's not a big audience you're not going to have the kind of success that you can have but first of all you know they have been very successful but also you know it really is such a wonderful complement to the you know the more you know mainstream commercial aspect of your of your musical life uh, i found those those concerts the videos that i've seen you know intensely moving and very very beautiful um so how where did the idea come from of of bringing that to the public the whole thing happened when one of my friends sarangan he gave me a cd once and say hey listen to this and i had done a documentary and through that documentary i discovered oh we can do a home story so he was part of and he gave me a cd and it was peter gabriel's uh, must must of nusrat atari khan sahab i think it was produced by peter brooks peter brooks right and i listened to this and i was like man this is stuff which i've never heard in what languages it was punjabi i think and it was punjabi sindhi and you know farsi and arabic and I never heard. I never was coming to Sufi. Kind of was trying to tend to, and then so I could hear familiar things: Ali, Ali, must, must, and must calendar, and dumb must calendar. And I, apparently, dumb is actually means Adam, Adam. Yeah. So the deep spiritual meaning of like we all come from one source. So yeah. So when I was listening to it, I was like, Do I? Can I do that? <laughs> and I was like obsessive about. what is this punjabi language and what is this sindhi language and what uh, who can write this and i was asking everyone 
like my friends in Bombay, there's one gentleman called Bridge Bush, and I said, I need a Punjabi lyricist. And then I was introduced to Sukhwinder Singh, who sang Jai Ho and Chaya Chaya. And we were just jamming, and then this whole thing opened up, you know, Baba Bulle Shah was a Sufi in Punjab, and what he's written, and then Amir Khusru Ramatullah, you know, Nizamuddin Awliya, Khwaja Garib. These are all Sufi saints, and their sayings are all about unity, about love, about finding the, the mystic, finding, you know, joining with the ultimate. And then one of my friends, uh, one of the directors who came in, he was the editor of Film Fair, you know, like the famous magazine. He said, I'm doing a movie and I know that I can't afford you, but can you do one song? Usually I don't do that. And I was like looking at him and he was a very nice man. And I said, what are the songs? And he said, oh, I need a song like Mukabla, which is a pop number. Can you do that? I said, what else is there? Because I've, I've done enough of that. There's a Sufi song. I'm going to go to this composer. I said, I'll do that. <laughs> and so I used to go to the Sufi shrine called Haji Ali, which is in the sea. Literally, you had to go to the sea. There's a shrine beautifully surrounded. I said, okay, let me do a Haji Ali Kawali. And I came up with the Pia Haji Ali. And then I met um, Shaukat, who was one of my faculty for Sufi Ensemble at KM. Uh, I asked him to write, and then he wrote the stuff, and we had done this in 7-8 rhythm, and my life changed. So I finished this, and I went to London. One of the doctors I met, Indian guy, I think, he said, I'm the doctor for Prince Charles. You know what happened? And he said, what happened? You know, my car was going, and I was listening to this, your song. Something happened, and the car overturned. But nothing, hap nothing happened to us and your song was still playing. I said, oh my God, I got goose flesh. And you know, there's Sufi, the incantations and the spiritual power of it. He was like going on and like, I said, this is my future. <laughs> yeah. Which song was that? It was Pia Haji Ali, Pia Haji Ali. It's the Pia Haji Ali is the Right. You know, the okay. Yes, yes. And which film was that in? That was in, um, I think it was a film, oh God, what film? It's Hrithik Roshan's first film, I guess. Hrithik Roshan, uh -huh. the, the actor. Yeah. Fiza, uh, Fiza. Correct, it was Fiza. You've proven that not only can Sufi music find its way beautifully into this kind of film context, but you could actually have hits with it. For example, you know, Kun Faya Kun in Rockstar, you know, I was looking at that and listening to many different performances of that song uh, but uh, the uh, the clip from the film on YouTube has 345 million views oh wow really that, that's a hit <laughs> in, in anyone's book yes and it, so of course, think about yeah think about music as whether it's, it's gospel or whether it's a bhajan or it's a kawali I think the the sincerity of it and the purity of it where it comes from defines what it could do yes Intention of the piece, actually, whether you listen to Beethoven or whether you listen to Meera, Lata Mangeshkar singing that or Kawali, like what we've done, mm -hmm. I felt like it's beyond religion. And people know that even if they try to polarize things, you're in, inside your eye of the heart knows what to see. And I took that as a guidance that even though, even recently we did a concert for the light men, you know, to fundraise for the light men. Mm -hmm. I was skeptical. I said, at a time when, uh, you know, things are very polarized, um, not everybody, I'm just saying, like, would people accept this, me singing 
and uh, you know the other gentleman centrally said no 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 don't worry people are and i thought finally people are going to come for the concert then 6000 people came yes 6000 people came and they all sang along and that's when i realized uh, beyond all the description beyond all the human people trying to divide people humans trying to divide people if the purity is the intention is pure in any thing you do that succeeds and for that you need courage and also sufi um, if you look at the sufi shrines in india mostly you know 50% hindus muslim sikhs everybody go i think they understand what it stands for it stands for unity and uh, unconditional love and giving and they don't judge like the rumi poem says like there is a place beyond good things and bad things and i'm going to see you there you know that's, <laughs> that's great. so so Beautiful. good and we're all judging people with this is right whether it's a yeah. music also like oh this is right this is wrong right. finally it's the heart which decides what is good what is bad in interesting quote it says that uh intelligent people don't have taste <laughs> intellectuals don't have taste right <laughs> so when you over analyze something you know you forget the joy of receiving the joy of what it is you know let it be what it is that is so true i've often felt that you know one of the worst things to be if you love art is to become a critic because you have to become so obsessed with coming across by as sophisticated and knowing everything that you can never actually enjoy anything yeah i've directed um um a sensory project which is 37 minute and it's on vr so kind of learned the whole process of story writing and shooting and production design and this and that so one thing which i you know if i had to sleep well i said switch off all that when you're working for some other people right don't see the editing don't see the camera enjoy the movie be do your job as a composer and <laughs> shut up right <laughs> don't let don't let the details get in the way of the whole absolutely right Let, let's talk about because the the concept of purity of intention that uh, and the spiritual journey carries over into your your approach to philanthropy and education and i do want to talk about the km music academy it's your creation it has created some incredible opportunities for gifted young musicians and people who come to you who aren't musicians when they start and become musicians um many cases from very financially economically less advantaged backgrounds and you know how did the idea of creating this this institution come about and and also tell us about the sunshine orchestra those are the two aspects that i'm really curious to learn more about i think what happened was my obsession with technology i used to buy these big consoles like half a million pounds and all the stuff and then i after two years i'll say how much will it sell for it's not even 20% or 15% of what it go and say like why am i putting so much of money in this stuff of course i need the consoles but what if i invest in people like you know nurturing get the fishing rods for these people not get the fish but the fishing rods and that is empowering them with knowledge and instruments and all the stuff so one i think it was 2008 uh, i called one of my colleagues and said hey i want to start a music school and i'm going to give it free he said no 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 don't do that nothing free is valued unless they pay for it <laughs> he was like a businessman and so we said we we went ahead on my birthday or my marriage day or something we announced we're going to start this i don't know anything about it but i want this to happen in chennai because if i don't do it i think nobody's going to do it i was waiting for people to do it and and also the the musicians who were there 
playing strings and brass were getting really old. They were my father's generation, actually. I get what what's going to happen to this? We we just announced it, and then it's like, you know, uh, the bees coming to the honey. Like everybody started coming. So I told my mom was was very good in construction. So I need a place to for these kids, and there was a car shed. She got a building up in two months. And uh, yeah, we started the school. Then I realized um, um, the only way you can have, you know, instruments like strings and brass, uh, because India's youngest country now, like kind of thing. And why would they become a violin player? It's so hard, and I've, it didn't tally with me. Like younger people want to, you know, climb up faster. They want to become famous faster. I said, why don't we pull this? Eighty percent of the population were poor. Why do we get them and give that empowerment so that they can, you know, cross that social barrier, get, and also be stick with what we are trying to achieve in orchestra, in in a very Indian classical country? How can you bring harmony and symphonic music? I I thought of this idea as I thought it will work because they're going to be, hopefully they'll be grateful for um, the education, and I wanted India to, you know. Cut all these barriers of caste and all the stuff, and poor and rich and all the stuff, and be united through music. And then it took me like definitely around six, seven years. We we fell again and again, and then suddenly we got up very strong. And these kids are now ambassadors for my music and for my conservatory, the Sunshine Orchestra. And of course, we have the foundation. Um, you know, the amazing opera singers and compos composers, composers, and and also realize that a school is not just educating them it's a kind of place it's a, it's a shrine where they exchange ideas and they mingle they know about each other's stories there's a lot of human you know fusion happening there and when i went to berkeley actually i took my kids just for the heck of it i they did a summer program uh they were like in the cheesecake factory and they were enjoying i said yeah do that do that and then you learn about life you learn about other people the world cultures and you know how to deal with things and one of my daughters were wearing the niqab right she does that and she was of course you know we had that people have a stigma against covering and uh, i was watching everything how people i was like sitting on a chair and watching them cross what kind of stigma goes through and what their understanding how to deal with things and yeah so the school the the conservatories is that and one thing also another thing i realized is if you teach classical music that's not enough because the challenges of the new world um is different if somebody is running pro tools these people should know what he's doing there he sh they should understand oh, he's, he's put another track and i'm going to overdub or uh, the tempo's not singing with the click track so i need to play that again the dynamics could be better if they know that they're going to be better players and what is it used for and that's yeah that's that's what a school should now teach rather than just sticking to and yeah and then how to talk in the public and right all that stuff yeah it's a, it's something that i i actually feel very passionately about it's some something that i'm very critical about most western um music conservatories is that they teach the kids how to play their instrument, how to interpret the music. You know, it's a wonderful training from that point of view. In terms of the reality 
of making yeah. music in the modern world? How do you build a career? How do you promote your career? How do you work in a studio? How do you make a record? You know, like as if you, even if you're not producing and engineering your own record, you know, how are you expected to behave in the studio to generate the best possible result? None of that is included. And it's, you know, so the kids get out of school and, you know, all they can think of is, I have to get into a symphony orchestra. I have to be a freelance, you know, studio musician. I have to join a band. But, you know, I don't know how to do any of those things. But I'm really good at playing my instrument. Yeah, so I think the past for a few years, I think you see so much of YouTube. There's so much of education outside, you know, conservatory. So, yeah. and, um, yeah, that's one thing I always felt like how I'm responsible for these kids' futures. And I don't want to be blamed by them saying that I went to this conservatory, I studied this. And I also said, like, India never had a music supervision course. India never had a music editing course. These are jobs waiting for you guys. Yes. Because all the burden comes on the composer or the director. Why should we take like 15 jobs what other people can earn? Yes. And that's how I pitched the school. Like you learn a violin or a cello, you understand what music is. Right. You can become a sound editor. You can, you know, judge uh, something in a TV series. So you you have the musical knowledge and you're learning about musicality research and social concept and how it's you know yeah these right. things and you have the flexibility because of the the western music that's part of the training to flow into different areas different um uh you know career opportunities that may either still be in india or outside of india so it's it's very flexible absolutely yeah, the, it also reminds me very much, and this is something I have a, a long personal relationship with, which is the South American El Sistema program, which yeah. you're, you know, and I, I don't know whether you've um, developed any connections to them, but that's something that if you'd ever like to explore, I'd be happy to act as a, a bit of a go-between because I've worked with them for many, many years, going back to my own record label uh, days. That'd be great. Uh, they would love yeah. you. They would love to work with KM. I know they would. Um, anyway, I have one other thing, and it's a, a, an interesting question. Um, and that is, you know, you are now a legitimate celebrity, musical star, icon. And when you perform in what I call the the concerts of your your hit music, um, you have to basically adopt the the swagger of you know essentially the rock musician and the and the the persona of a celebrity. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you come from a spiritual tradition that you feel very deeply, and that embraces humility and reverence. And, you know, one of the things that is common to most you know, great spiritual traditions is, you know, you have a kind of an exalted respect and celebration of that which is highest and most holy, um, however you understand it. And along with that, there is the, the goal of overcoming the self of, you know, by making the ego somehow, you know, take a back seat. You can basically then free yourself to embrace the, the, the infinite. Um, these two things seem to be directly contradictory with each other. You know, if you don't mind my saying so, I'm not saying that to, to be critical. It's just yeah, that yeah, yeah. How, how do you reconcile those, those two impulses? It must be very strange in a way. Yeah, I think you're, it's a good point, actually. Um, so, you know, my wife takes care of my styling. And it's it's a duty of her husband to fulfill the wife's desire, right? <laughs> so she is like, you have to be a rock star. When you stand on the stage, you should be like this. I said, okay, you take 
the reins and do whatever you want i'll wear that i'll throw it after the concert that's it through the during the concert i wear all that stuff and so she's happy and yes. she does all the styling and i have my limits what i do on stage no like I, right. I, i do not like other people i mean each one has a personality my personality is this and my audience knows this this is what my thing is and we we have fun right music is about because the music is fun music the music demands certain kind of a vibe and right. i can't just be like, yeah you can't be serious all the time and you know as long as you establish some boundaries you you can yeah. stay within those and that makes sense that does make sense so before we we finish i mean there are so many other things that i'd love to talk with you about but you know we've touched on the the very central role of technology i mean you know 100 years ago you know there was essentially the technology was the instrument themselves or you know i have actually in my office you can see behind me you know um one of the few early innovations in music technology that that's an edison cylinder which involves you know 4 minutes of music on a, a wax cylinder oh yes really yeah 4 minutes you know this is from about 1906 and i, I have to say that. that i always yep yeah, before they came up with flat discs edison had had these oh, and wow. um the um and of course they sound awful <laughs> they really do um but i do have to say one thing and that is if there is a power failure and it lasts long enough that everyone else's batteries are gone on their phones and their devices i can still make music because this is purely mechanical um uh, it doesn't have an amplifier it doesn't have a speaker it has a horn anyway the the point is that technology has really transformed how we create music how we hear music how we share music how we you know conceive of music every aspect and now we have and, ai we have yes AI. that well i was going to get to that like you know do you feel that ai is you know a threat or is it I something that i think it's can... the napster of creativity again what uh-huh. napster did to cd's and uh, and how the music industry had to you know re uh, do everything reboot i think right. we have come to another stage it's going to be chaos it's going to be right. so noisy right well hopefully there will never be an ai ar so uh <laughs> you know that would be that would be bad uh but you know you have really embraced technology i think you were the first person to go to 7.1 sound in in your scoring um and you know i have to say that you know in listening to your recordings the the quality of production is absolutely immaculate it's beautifully produced the you know the realization is very very polished and and, and expressive um you clearly are someone who has never basically looked at a new piece of equipment and said you know take it away i don't want to learn something new that's me i'm i'm a technophobe um you know does it feel like fun is it like a journey to explore the new capabilities when when there's a new piece of software or a new a new piece of gear that comes into your life i mean if it's going to make my life easy like yeah. um sometimes you know you, if it's going to take 14 steps to get at something and then there's something which should make it two steps and it increases the productivity yeah. without compromising and you can use that time for something else otherwise you know the more you get old you can't sit and your back starts paining right so i think the tools are going to make me young make me make my music younger and uh, the 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 age factor won't reflect on the music and it'll be better even more right and more right right vibrant. and you start you start to think saving time 
counts. It yeah. actually counts because you know we we ultimately are all counting backwards, right? From an from an endpoint. Um, last couple of questions: studio versus stage. You know, Glenn Gould uh, was really happiest in the studio. He felt that it was a controlled environment. It was secure. He could go more deeply into the music. He could craft it. He wasn't depending on the chance of the moment in front of a, an audience. Um, do you feel a kinship to that point of view? Do you, do you see separate satisfactions between the studio and, and performing live? I think live has its own highs and it could get, you know, when it's troublesome, uh, you are also controlling a mob, <laughs> a good mob and a bad mob. A good right. mob can become a bad mob if something bad happens. So it's, uh, but it's fun when it all goes well. Because yes. if uh, people are going to show up in your concert, they're going to buy tickets, they already love you 50%. Yeah. And all you have to do is perform well, then you're sold. If they're going to show up for your concert, like, you know, 20,000 people or 30,000 people showing up for your concert is such a, you know, an amazing thing. Not everybody gets that. And so, and also, it, I, I never look back at my compositions. I just, all awards, like, I'm done with it. I need... I don't know whether I'm going to compose a tune tomorrow. So that's my next challenge. I'm more bothered about that than, rather than thinking about the past. Right. So the only time I look back is, oh, I got a concert. So let's see what impresses me. Oh, that stuff is great. This stuff is great. I can do this. I can change the arrangement or play it on the piano. And that's when I look back and then take stuff. So yeah. I like both, actually. Okay. And and first couple of decades, I was like, it was like death going on stage. <laughs> You uh -huh. don't know what's gonna fail, who's not gonna show up, and which which promoter won't pay, and and now I think all that is sorted. It's much better now. Right, because I I do sense that you are you know, in your your deepest nature, you're a a quiet and a contemplative person, a thoughtful person, and you know you have to basically find the extrovert in you, you know, the outgoing person to be on stage. Um, and you know, congratulations! You you've been able to make that transition. That's great. Yeah, my yeah, my question is like, if people are coming, they're paying for your concert, and they are going to a Beyonce concert, they're going to a you know something else. Why should they get something less? Mm -hmm. And uh, so why can't we up the game? And what would I like to see if I see an AM concert? You know, right. I always think like that. Oh, I like to see this. I like to see yes. it. I like the good videos. I like to see great arrangements, great singing. And we are very proud of it rather than cringing when you say, oh, it is what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so in closing, um, I actually came across a quote of, you, of yours that I really love. And I, I want to read it and then, and then ask one last question. Um, Music is the language of languages. It is the ultimate mother of languages. Film music in India is like pop music in the West. Movies are the channels for this music. But music stays on long after the films. If a music artiste wants to blossom uh, as a full-fledged person, it is not enough if he only knows classical music, not, nor is it enough if he's well-versed in, uh, only in ragas and techniques. Instead, he should be a knowledgeable person interested in life and philosophy. In his personal life, there should be at least in some corner of his heart a tinge of lingering sorrow. Ah, makes me think of Johannes Brahms or Robert Schumann or <laughs> even Beethoven. But that, that's a very beautiful sentiment about 
how music Thank has you. to embrace more than just the technique of music, but the the whole range of life experiences, including the sad ones. Yeah, I think empathy, um, empathy, what whatever you have for life and other humans, comes through music, and it evokes it, right? Yes, and if that is actually the spiritual power of belief, whatever you believe in or you don't believe in, we all believe in humanity. We all believe in the joy of others. Otherwise, life will never go through. No, no civilization will exist if we are not right. happy with, you know, by the, by the joy of giving. And I think music kind of uh, augments that stuff in a person when they listen to it, and the Absolutely. world becomes more beautiful. Like when you're going yes. through a you know very very unclean road, you just put beautiful beautiful music. Even that looks beautiful, <laughs> right? Yes. So absolutely. Well, um, you've done it all. You know, well over two hundred film scores, concerts that attract you know tens and tens of thousands of people. You've you know opened the world of Sufi music to audiences around the world who weren't familiar with it before. You've helped to educate. You know. And you've collaborated with some of the the most enormous, you know, names in music, you know, Michael Jackson and, you know, Mick Jagger and so on. So my last question is, what lies ahead? And is there a, a Mount Everest that you still are looking forward to, to scaling? What is, is there a dream project that you still are hoping lies ahead for you? Just when you think everything's over, something else opens up. Uh-huh. So now... I'm very fascinated about the meta world and what you can do with that with music and how you can um, there are certain limitations when you have certain things in real life which you can you know go ahead and do with the meta world right and what are those possibilities what is the sound of that is what I'm exploring now interesting interesting well so in that case you know um, we look forward to the the next virtual you um, in that metaverse uh, that's great. Um, and thank you again for the gift of music that you've given, for being so generous and giving us uh, so much time to talk today. And uh, of course, we'll all be following, you know, the next and the next and the next project that you take on with the greatest interest. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great honor. The Glenn Gould Foundation is a registered Canadian charity and we rely on the support of arts lovers like you to keep bringing inspiring stories to life. Please consider giving by visiting our website, glengould.ca, and follow us across social media at the Glenn Gould Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Gould Standard. Aja jinde shami aane ke tale Aja zari wale nile azmane ke tale Aja aja jinde shami aane ke tale Aja zari wale nile azmane ke tale I'm gonna go
Nico y Lope.